Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Nursery Podcast. I want to tell our listeners that one of the true pleasures of being an academic neurosurgeon is you get to travel and you get to meet friends. And over the course of years and even decades, you get to know them and their families. So today we're really delighted to be joined uh, by Jeff Bruce. Jeff Bruce is at Columbia. He's been at Columbia for a very long time. He has been the program director for decades, and I understand he just stepped down and uh, let uh, a younger doctor take over that role. But because of that, Jeff has had a tremendous experience in dealing with applicants over the years. And I got to know Jeff and his family and his wonderful daughters and son and wife through the Society of University Neurosurgeons. And Jeff is one of those sort of wise mentoring uh, neurosurgeons who every medical student wants to hang out with. Uh, They want to do research in his lab, and they want to get to know uh, Columbia Neurosurgery through him. So, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. Great, great. So let's let's kick things off. We're doing this sort of mini-series on the interviews this year in this coronavirus era. And let me just ask you, we were talking before we started recording about how you guys started your first sort of trial run interviews uh, this morning at Columbia. Tell us a little bit about how that's going and how it differs from previous years. Yeah, so yeah, certainly a very different vibe by uh, doing this by video rather than in person. Um, it's always great in person. You can, you know, look at body language and a lot of nuances and and the interviews flow a lot more easily. I, I think on, on video, it's a little bit more stilted, but I, I will say, I, I think we get the essence uh, of the person and, and, you know, the, to be clear, the, the interviews are only one part of this. I, I think your, your body of work that is in your application really speaks for you more than the interview. The interview is sort of the icing on the cake. Um, I don't think anybody thinks the video is, is better other than um, it, it certainly makes the travel uh, part of this much easier. I mean, I know in previous years, residents, resident applicants had to do a lot of traveling, which, which was fun in its own way, but, but very difficult and expensive. So we'll see when, when this pandemic is over, whether people adopt parts of this or, or all of it will be curious to see. I, I, I must say it's definitely not as good as the in-person interview, but, but not bad. It's not bad. So, Dr. Bruce, um, many of our listeners are attending and practicing neurosurgeons at academic institutions across the country, and we want to delve into the program side of things today to think about, as we've brought up, how to evaluate uh, applicant students this year and how to really try to get to know these people in the absence of direct contact. But at the same time, we want to give advice to the students who are applying and try to maybe advise them from your perspective, from the attendings perspective, how best to uh, show you their best sides, show you who they are. I remember a couple years back when I interviewed with you at Columbia, I walked in the room and much to my surprise, you stood up and had me sit down at your chair at your desk 
sat across from me in the much less comfortable looking applicant seat and looked me in the eye and said, okay, nice to meet you. Now tell me, why do you deserve to sit in that chair? That was such an experience. You put me on the spot in a great way, obviously. And I can't imagine students this year having that same kind of opportunity to have that sink or swim, fight or flight moment and show you who they are in a moment like that. So how could you advise students this year virtually, be it via email or on video during an interview, to really try to find that connection and, and show you their true side? Yeah, I, I, I remember interviewing you. I remember you sitting in that chair. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great interview technique because I like to leave it open-ended. I want to hear about your whole life story, how you got to be where you are today. And, you know, a little bit of the essence of, of who you are. And I, I think that's what I look for in these interviews because, you know, your application is filled with all of your accomplishments and, and everybody that reaches this stage of the interviews usually has a pretty impressive record. So I usually like people to, you know, you let your record speak for yourself. Uh, everybody is so accomplished and you want to be able to use the interview process, you know, not to create a, a new or false persona, not to say, oh, wow, I, I need to gloss over defects in my application or, or, or present a different person who I am. You know, have the confidence that to have gotten where you are today, you actually are a special accomplished person and, and, and bring that out, you know, bring out your personality, who you are, what are the things that molded you, that got you to where you are today, and that's going to make you the most interesting interviewee. Um, as I say, your, your academic accomplishments are, are in black and white on your application. So to the degree that the interview process can bring out your personality and tell us a little bit about who you are, why you're special. I mean, everybody's different. Why are you different? What, what makes you different? I think it's helpful to think of your, you know, life a little bit as a story and, and tell that story. That, that is what will make you interesting. I think as a, as an inter interviewer, I, you know, you want to be a little entertained. You want to be interested. You want to be able to maybe even learn something. So making yourself interesting and, and I know that may sound difficult to do, but it's actually not because you actually, everybody out there, you are already interesting people. Anybody that's got to this point is an interesting person. Sure. Sage advice and I think wise advice, both in, in terms of encouraging the students um, how to behave and, and how to try to present their true and genuine selves. I wonder, uh, at this point in the interview season, uh, I'm sure that you've been flooded with uh, applications, but also emails from students around the country who who want to secure that uh, invitation to interview with you at Columbia. What things are you seeing that students are doing both favorably and unfavorably, perhaps, um, to try and, and secure that invitation? So that's, you know, that's a good question because, of course, every applicant out there is nervous and anxious. Uh, every single one, no matter how good your record is or no matter how uh, perhaps average your record is, everybody is anxious. And everybody's thinking, how can I get a leg up on, on this process? How can I give myself a little advantage? You know, the reality is you really can't. You're, again, your record speaks for, for itself. Uh, 
there's a great Bill Parcells quote, the great New York, you know, uh, pro football coach. He, 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 his response about somebody's uh, season was, you know, your, your record is what it says it is. And that's the same as a resident applicant. You, again, you have this body of work behind you that, that speaks for you. And to think that, oh, if I just send an email or if I get one of my attendings to call this, to call this other attending, I can get an interview. I don't, it doesn't really work like that. And to be honest with you, we, yeah, we get some, some uh, emails from interested applicants who are trying to show that they're really interested in the program. I, I don't think those emails do anything. I mean, I, I don't, we don't hold it against anybody, but they don't do anything. We have a process for reviewing applications. And frankly, no matter what program you're applying to, if you don't make the cut, then you're not going to be competitive at that place for whatever reason. And it's okay. You're, you're not, nobody's going to get interviews at every place they go to. So I don't think there's anything you can do to be pro more proactive about the application process other than, you know, by this time, your application is already in. Hopefully, you you used your spell check and made sure all the words were spelled correctly. And that's really all you can do. And then sit back and wait. Well, that, you know, that makes perfect sense. That at the time of the application, you are who you are. You've done what you've done. And trying to put an icing on the cake, so to speak, can't get you that invitation that uh, you don't qualify for, as you said. But I imagine that the effect size, if you will, in the opposite direction might be greater. Um, what things are there that students can avoid doing or that you would discourage or I guess any horror stories yet this year of someone who on paper was a solid applicant, great body of work, as you say, but then did something to negate that? Um, yeah, you know, that's an in interesting question. You, 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 you'd, you'd love to hear those juicy stories. But you know, it really ha it really haven't been many. I, I think the level of of uh, applicant that we see, you know, just you know, just so smart and polished and and confident. I've I've actually never seen a major gap that I can think. I'll, I'll think about that for a second. I don't think I've ever seen anybody who actually blew the interview, if you will. Definitely, there are people who who appear differently than you expected from their application, but. You know that 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 can usually be a positive thing as well. So I, I don't know that there's any major gap you can make. Now, uh, are there some things you can do that that would be problematic? Yeah, of course. I think it, it's an you know I'm sure everybody out there is pretty tech savvy. So you you want to do the obvious things. Make sure your your camera setup is good and that you don't have any outside interference. That your your roommates or your dog or anybody is is not going to uh, enter the picture. But you know what, even if that did, I don't, that's not going to work against you. Um, I think the things that, that could work against you are things that, that, wouldn't, that you wouldn't do anyway. I mean, I think it's, it's important to be interesting. It's important to be a little bit, um, you know, sense of humor is good. Uh, maybe even be a little edgy, but you got to be careful. I think the things that would be bad these days are, are things that are, that are otherwise politically incorrect that may not, that wouldn't go over well. I think that's that's the kind of thing. Saying disparaging things about something or somebody, but you know, you're not going to do that. Nobody's nobody's dumb enough to do that. So um, 
I think, again, have confidence in yourself and your abilities and your your body of work, and you're going to be fine. But Jeff, let me just call you out there. So, you know, I've interviewed lots of folks and I see stupid stuff being done every day, right? Like, and I'm, you know, I'm a little more judgmental than you, right? A little quick to judge, but I see people doing stuff and I'm like, I, I look at these emails or applications and I'm like, wow, why did you, why did you put it like that? And I guess in a Zoom interview setting, you've done some of these now, what are you, what would be your advice? What are you seeing people do that would be like, well, that's, you know, I wouldn't do an interview that way. Like, are they showing up in their pajamas or not dressing up or, you know, the interrupting you? Like, what, what's happening with Yeah, I, I, as I said, I, I don't think I've seen any major faux pas. I think probably the biggest, the biggest negative, and it's, it's, it's a relative negative because we're all, you know, working this together. And that is just because of the awkwardness of the, of the Zoom, there seems to be a lot of more awkward silences. You know, the answers tend to be shorter there's less elaboration, and it just makes for a more awkward interview. Um, I haven't seen, again, I haven't seen anybody show up in their in their pajamas, and I haven't seen anybody uh, say anything that's super negative. I mean, I, th- I think you got to avoid the negativity, right? Nobody nobody wants to hear negativity. Certainly, saying something bad about somebody else or some other program or any anything like that. I think those would be those would be red flags, but I haven't, I must say, I haven't seen that. I don't know. Well, I will tell you, you know, one, one of the things I really miss about the interview process is we used to have um, a lot of drinking and a lot of going out to dinner the night before and the night after. And, uh, and we get the truth out of the applicants that way sometimes. And it was really a, a ton of fun. And applicants over the last 20 years have hung out with me at USC and in Miami drinking and, and going out. And, uh, you know, that part I really, really do miss. How do you draw it out of people, like what their real personality is? Because I could see that in a Zoom setting, it's like people are just sort of, uh, you know, um, deadpan, right? That everybody's trying to be super formal, not move their head around and not, and also worrying about being recorded, right? That's the other piece is like, you know, I was on a meeting yesterday and they're like, this meeting's being recorded. I'm like, well, okay. So I'm not going to tell you what I really think now. Right. Like, how do you draw out the real yeah. applicant? Well, you know, Mike, I've, I've hung out with you a lot. I know what it's like to, to have to, to have to drink with you and, and have the truth serum there and, and have everybody tell everything. But, you know, I don't know in this day and age, you know, you got to be careful about that. I think it says a lot about the Miami program, though, because I, I know that's what you guys are, are mostly about, and that's why you have such a fun group. <laughs> <laughs> but having said that, you know, um, uh, we 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 um, we do miss that. I mean, it's it's an informal. You, know, you know, forget the alcohol part. I think just having a a social situation where you can really you know talk to someone in a much more natural manner. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't know that anyone's really figured that out for the Zoom yet, right? I mean, it's it's not, forget the interview process, forget, look at all the Zoom meetings we all have gone to. And I don't think anybody has figured out how to how to bring that personal part. I mean, it's, you know, it's like trying to watch a comedy on a, on a, on a, on a Zoom. It just, you know, it just doesn't translate. You just don't get that, that, uh, that sense of it. So, Again, I, I guess I'll, I'll go back to my earlier answer, and and you know, think of your think of your 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 life as a story. You know, try and tell a story. Tell tell, tell a story. Make yourself interesting. And, and um, you know, before an interview, you 
you know what kind of questions you're going to get. If, if everybody who's going to interview should have some idea of how to answer a question like, you know, tell me about yourself. Tell me your whole life story. Or why do you want to go into neurosurgery? Or what do you like about neurosurgery? These are obvious questions you're going to have. And, and um, you want to be spontaneous. Don't, don't have a memorized answer. Don't think you can, you know, just read a script on this. But have some idea about that and, and, and try and do it in as, as a interesting a way as you can. I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if that's a good answer for you, Mike. I wish I had a better way to tell that. But um, I, I think that's how, how I would look at it. Well, Dr. Bruce, I, I think I'll agree that, that we're all going to miss the social aspect of the interviews this year. And to Columbia's credit, I remember when I was there two years ago after a very nice dinner the residents took us all uh, appropriately via subway to the beer garden at the Standard Hotel, which is one of my favorite places to go in New York City. So uh, very, very impressed with the interview process there when I visited. Yeah. Um, I wonder, though, because before we started recording, you mentioned that you had just had kind of a, a dry run beta test interview process where you uh, went through the Zoom process interviewing your, your in-house Columbia Medical students who were applying to, to get a feel for the process. This past week at Rush, we did the same thing, not interviewing any students, but we just did a dry run with the residents and attendings, making sure we could all manage the Zoom and moving between the breakout rooms and the general room. And one of the problems we came up with to anticipate is, well, what if there's a technical difficulty? What if a student doesn't go to the right breakout room to meet with an attending and it's no one's fault, but it just happens. And unfortunately, because of the time constraints and how tight the schedule was, we kind of put our hands in the air and said, well, I guess that interview doesn't happen. Uh, did you folks have a similar conversation and did you come up with a different solution or, or are we just all kind of going to roll with the punches on technical errors this year? Yeah, I, I think we're all going to roll with the punches. I don't think anybody has this set and down yet. Everybody's, everybody has done preparation work, I'm sure, to try and get the glitches out, but the glitches are going to be inevitable. But I would say this, no one's going to hold that against you. No one is going to um, feel that they're, they're technical glitches. And even if you have trouble dealing with your own computer, your own, um, uh, your, your own setup, I don't think that's going to work against you. And you know, there, there's a lot of overlap in these in interviews. If you miss an interview or two, it's not going to affect your overall standing. And uh, I, I, I just think it's it's reasonable to be a little anxious about that. But I, I really don't think that's going to be a problem. There'll be glitches, but everybody's going to figure out how to deal with it. I I would ask if that just in the in the rare chance should that happen with a really key faculty member, with a chair, with a program director. Uh, would you advise the student to try to reach out to that person later on and still give them a sense of who they are as a person, maybe even try to set up a separate meeting? Or would you just tell them to, to move on, continue with their application as is, and trust the process? I, I think in a situation like that, if you miss a key interview, I would just email the program director and explain what happened if they weren't aware of it. And and uh, it, I'm, I'm sure they would it would be a reasonable thing to have a quick, you know, telephone interview or a quick Zoom uh, to make up for that. I'm, I'm, I, that's what I would do if it happened to me. I'm not, I don't want to speak for other programs, but if somebody that was supposed to interview missed a, a key interview with like the program director or the chairman, 
we would just, you know, reschedule it on, on an ad hoc basis. But I don't know what other programs will do about that. So so the applicant should email the program director and, and you know, they may say, oh, don't worry about it. We feel like we got enough of an interview. We, you did very well or, you know, whatever. Or or they they would say, well, we, you know, we, we don't have time to do that. But I would I would definitely let somebody know about that. So Jeff, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a little preface on this next question because I know what the party line is gonna be. But we have said for many many decades now, the neurosurgery residency is longer than the average American marriage, which means a lot of thought needs to go into the choosing of partners. And you know, you would probably never marry someone based on a Zoom interaction, but that's what we're being asked to do now. So I'm gonna bring up the controversial topic, uh, and I know the party line answer is gonna be no which means um, that you shouldn't travel to a program you really wanna go to if it's not your home institution to see and visit and meet people and talk to them and find out if it's the right fit before you rank them number one or number two or whatever. And I know that the party line has to be that that's not permitted and especially if you're in a blue state, Uh, I totally get that. But the reality is we know that this is gonna happen. We know that there's so much on the line. And I'll be honest with you, I've flown several times during the pandemic. The airplanes are 100% full. So we know people are traveling uh, aggressively. And I don't want to get overly political, but it seems, to, it seems to matter what your reason for traveling is. And it's not about essential workers versus non-essential workers. And the same can be said for gatherings, I guess. So tell us what your opinion is on this in general. And we know that your party line opinion is going to be nobody should be traveling, period, for this purpose because the ACGME and RRC have weighed in on this. But what do you think is actually going to happen? What's your prediction of what's going to happen in terms of people coming to look at a place? And remember, in past years, people have done second looks. So they took two trips, right? So tell us what you think. So, uh, you know, I feel like I'm at one of those drinking parties with you here, Mike. You're asking me in front of the, you're telling me you got thousands of people on this podcast and you want me to announce that everybody should break the rule that, that Jeff Bruce at Columbia said it's okay to break the rule. No, no, no. We know that you're not telling people. Even though you're doing this fake preface thing saying it. um, (laughs) You say no, wink, wink, nod, nod, but you're really saying this is a good idea and you want to endorse it. Um, You know, the the problem is that at, at a higher level, the the um, uh, you know the the neurosurgery policymakers have said to keep a level playing field that there are not going to be interviews this year, and we all know that's a big problem, right? It's a big it's a big negative, and I think that if you try to do uh, informal visits and make contacts at other institutions. I think it's a little bit out of risk because, you know, some institutions may be, wow, this is a great applicant. They, they went out of their way to show an interest. We're going to rank them higher. But you run the real risk of you don't know how, how a, a uh, program is going to look at that. They may say, look, this guy uh, or this gal has broken the rules. They're trying to get an unfair advantage and it could work against you. So I, I really think I would avoid that. I mean, you know, they're there are no rules that say you can't, you know, visit a hospital, but if you try to do it in a, in a sort of formal, informal, let me make contacts while I'm here, I would be worried that it could work against you and that some programs might think that you're, you're doing something that others would consider underhanded. You know what, you know what I mean? Yeah, but you know, I totally agree with you, Jeff. I, 
I totally get that. But let me just, uh, we asked Kathy Guzman about this last week, which is in the past, there was a limit to what people could do, maybe because of time or finance to get from place to place. To, and so when someone came to interview, you knew they made some basic level of commitment to, um, to come interview with you, right? Now, essentially, an applicant can interview at every single American program there is without any intention of really wanting to go there, right? And so I guess maybe another way to ask the question is, how does an applicant really show you that they're going to be dedicated? And I'll tell you, in the past, you and I both know of numerous cases, and we, we call these people out later. They may not even know who they are right now, but we know them, who told everybody they're going to rank them number one who then obviously lied about that. And we know exactly who they call. There are many, many people like this. Um, and, and, but those people at least did a sub-I, right? They at least spent time at the places or they went and interviewed. Now, basically anybody can say or do whatever they want with no risk, right? So I guess coming on the other side is a person who's involved in, in teaching residents and fellows. How do you, how does a person even come across as other than saying, I really want to be at Columbia, right? But they're going to say the same thing to Cornell, Mount Sinai and the Brigham and Hopkins, you know, how does, how does a program struggle with that? Well, I would look at it a little differently, Mike. I would say this, I, we just assume that if you're applying that you want to come to the program and, you know, and, and the vast majority of people are not going to get their first choice and the vast majority of programs are not going to get their first choice. So inevitably, you're going to be getting residents who neither side was their first choice. And that's okay. I, I don't, I, I don't think that having a, an applicant say that they really, really want to go to Columbia makes that much a difference in our, in our selection process. We might give some attention to somebody says who calls says we're ranking you number one. Maybe that makes a little bit of a difference, but even then, you know, not so much because we want the best, resident we can get and if if we're not their number one choice and they end up ranking with us well hopefully we're gonna we're gonna make them happy that 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 it worked out that way that they're that they they ended up with us so i'm not sure on the on the grand list of of qualities that that we look for in a resident that it necessarily has to be that we are their number one program and i'll just make another aside of this i i think you're you're right what you alluded to mike and that is I think it's really bad form to tell some program that they're number one and then not rank them number one because that that will come back to hurt you. And at the same time, we've all got emails from people that uh, that have interviewed with us and then send an email saying, you know, you're really high up on our list. They don't say you're number one, but they say you're high up on your list. That carries almost no weight. That's that's telling us, well, you could have sent that email to 15 other programs, right? So. So I, yeah, I love the email that's cut and paste, right? It's like you, like a uh, dear Dr. Komatar, and it's to me, and it's like, oh my god, well, that's clearly just a mass yeah, email, so, right? So I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that critical. I, I again, I, I don't know how how you how you are at other how it is at other programs, but I just assume if they're applying that they want to come here, and we 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 think enough of our own program that we would hope everyone wants to come there, so. I can't really speak for as you're getting down to maybe some are, some programs that are that maybe not as good, but if they're not as good, you're you're not going to be enthusiastic about it anyway. But at the end of the day, you want to be a neurosurgeon. I I think people should mostly make their rank list out of based on the best program they can get into. Maybe the program they like the best. It's it's nice to go somewhere that you like the most, but 
you know, at, at the end of the day, you want to be the best trained neurosurgeon you can be. So it's, you know, I, I, I guess I, I, I don't put as much emphasis on the, um, you know, making known that, that you really, really want to go there because it's hard to do because it, yeah. more than likely, um, you know, you're applying to 15, 20 programs, you're probably going to have five, eight programs that you really like. So does that make a difference whether you're number one or number four or number seven? I, I don't think so. Well, Jeff, I, I agree with your message. And, I, you know, coming from Columbia, one of the top programs, so it's it's really not a problem for you guys. But I think about this uh, article I read by Caitlin Flanagan in Atlantic, and it was a fascinating analysis of, of sex on college campuses. And there was this statement that 10% of the men are having 90% of the sex. And it's true. It's actually happened that way that the world is less egalitarian. And so the top 10% of men uh, on college campuses, and I'm just talking about the heterosexual world now, I don't even want to get into the other permutations. They are, all the women want to be with them. And the other guys that are playing video games, nobody wants to be with them. And it creates this division. I worry about that in the sense that, you know, Kathy said they're actually going to interview fewer people this year than in the past. So we may interview 40 people here in Miami, right? And if the top 40 people in the country as applicants, whatever they look like on paper, chew up all those spots and applicant number 42, and I hate to even say there's such a thing, but let's say the 42nd best applicant didn't get an interview, but could have been a good match. But because the guys who are on top and the gals who are on top get to get all the interviews and it's so easy and effortless and, and, uh, and cost-free, you worry about that, right? You worry that it creates a non-egalitarian, non-level playing field for people who could have really shined or could have matched and been a good match. And that's, I guess that's the part that I worry about. I know that's not made up for by someone expressing their desire to be at Columbia, but that's the part of me that says, you know, I'm worried about this technology and I'm worried that people will see in the future, let's just go there because in the past, you know, there are people who said, usually a neurosurgeon whose child is now applying, which doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, I saw my daughter had to spend $20,000 to apply. Like, what do you care? You're a neurosurgeon, but they're saying it like, I wish he didn't have to spend that money. And that's, that's kind of a false premise. But I do think in some ways, and I'm curious, JP, maybe you can chime in having just gone through this a year and a half ago. I worry about that. I worry that this creates this kind of like valueless interview, right? That there's no value. It's like when you offer free admission to something, no, half the people don't even show up because it was free, right? You know, what do you think, JP? I mean, I, I think you're very right. Uh, I've worried myself about kind of, as you said, the increased ability to visit, quote unquote, all of these programs this year. And again, as you said, the, the top tier of applicants uh, can now apply so much more broadly and more importantly, accept and attend all of these interviews more and more broadly. One way I, I would still say that there is some limitation is that although the students don't have to physically travel through space now, there's still only so many hours and there are still only so many days most programs, their interviews take at least one full day, if not a two-day process with something the night before or in the morning each day. And so there are still conflicts in scheduling where uh, students are going to have to choose, well, maybe I take this interview and skip that one because I can't be on two Zooms at the same time. So there is still some measure of selectivity that the students have to go through, even if it doesn't involve a plane ticket and a hotel stay and the hours of travel that they have to put in. Well, there's a, there is a flip side to this, though. 
and that is because the top applicants may be interviewing at more spots, that makes the places where you do get an interview more valuable to you. Because let's say uh, in a, at a place where you're interviewing, maybe you're a mid-tier candidate, but you know the top-tier people can only match at one place. They can interview at 20 places, but they're only going to match at one which means that inevitably, particularly at the better programs, they're going to have to go further down in their rank list to match. So if, if, you're, you know, if you're not the top, top tier, but you're a solid candidate, you may be, let's say you're ranked number 15. You know, in other years, maybe uh, a program would never get down to their 15th ranked applicant. But in a year like this, they may easily get down to their 15th ranked applicant. So I think it just means that the places you get interviews at are more valuable to you. And in some ways, that may be a, a better way for you to focus. You know, frankly, if you're if, if you're that borderline where you're not getting an interview at a place that they're already or, uh, interviewing 40 or 50 people, most likely you're not competitive at that program anyway, even if there are, you know, even if there are a lot of people ahead of you. Well, Jeff, I can see now why you've been the program director at Columbia so long and done such a great job of it, training so many amazing uh, house staff and who've gone on to be amazing attendings. I do want to thank you for coming on and, and sharing your thoughts with our audience. Everybody's waiting on the edge of their seat because this is an it's truly an unprecedented time. So, uh, you know, please uh, continue to do what you're doing. And we look forward to a wonderful interview season with you guys. Thanks. It's always uh, great to talk with you guys. And this is, sounds like a great podcast and I wish you the best of success. Mm -hmm.